This is our very first recording of In Our Tracks, a podcast produced by the National Reining Horse Association. And in this installment, we'll be talking to NRHA President Mike Hancock. Welcome to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. We'll honor the legacy makers, movers, and shakers from the reining industry, as well as grassroots competitors and weekend warriors to offer insights from the full spectrum of the reining community. Mike, tell us a little bit about where you're from and how long you've been an NRHA member. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. I've been a member of NRHA since uh, I think about 1980. So um, let's go into what we're going to call our large fast. A few quick quick questions to go over um, just to give kind of people a a quick idea of who you are and and what you like about reining and that kind of thing. Um, What's your favorite food to have in the truck when you're hauling to a horse show? (laughs) Uh, pecan spin wheels or something like that, because it seemed like that and chocolate milk make me go a little further. Yeah, so you're a sweet sky. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you like to listen to when you're on the road? Uh, I think right since the advent of, I won't say the commercial name, but of paid for listening radio, <laughs> it would be the uh, Willie's Roadhouse. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a favorite of mine too. Um, what's your favorite horse you've ever ridden? Well, you know, I've, that's a great question because I've been fortunate to have some great horses and some unique horses, not all, not the same necessarily. Mm-hmm. But uh, early, early on, I got to show a great mare called Lonnie's Question. Um, she was by my wife's, out of my wife's uh, first quarter horse. Um, and for her first foal, my first bronze trophy and reserve world's champion on her. And she was just a great horse. Uh, that would be one. And then Miss Majestic Jack goes was more recent. That was in the early 90s. She was a world champion for Michelle Masson from Canada as a five-year-old. And I bought her later in life. And I think I showed her 20 times and won 14 bronzes. So she was pretty special. Absolutely. Um, What is one of your most memorable accomplishments horseback? Doesn't have to be in the show pen. It could be anywhere. Uh, not embarrassing myself when showing. <laughs> that is a big one. Um, what's your favorite trait in a horse? Their mind. Uh, certainly they have to have the ability and they have to be sound and all those things. But you have to, in this, in this sport, you have to have a dance partner. And if the horse isn't helping you, then that's not a good thing. So the mind and wanting to do their job and helping you and not trying to do things on their own, cheat or, rethi- or think ahead of you is more than, more important than anything else. All right, and last one. What's the best advice you have received before you've gone to show? I probably can't repeat that on here, <laughs> but uh, this was, uh, I think, in the 19... Early 90s, I'll say that because I don't remember the exact year. Early 90s, I was getting ready to show at the Quarter Horse Congress and Non-Pro on Miss Majestic Jack. Uh, Barbara Williams, is, I've ridden with her as a trainer since 1981, so we're good friends first and great horse relationship as well. Uh, I would say she, her advice to me, I won't quote her exactly, but it was, uh, don't be afraid to go fast, was her comment, but in paraphrased words. So we had a title, uh, we, we had a title win that, uh, with one of my good friends from early days and great rainers, Richie, uh, Greenberg, and, uh, fortunately was able to win the runoff, but it was, that was my memory. Do you feel like you went fast enough? 
I think it did. <laughs> the judges did. All right. <laughs> so, Mike, tell me a little bit about what drew you to reining in the first place, because you have a long history with horses, mm-hmm. not just in the reining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should just as like a lot of folks, I started as a kid with a pony, and I think I was 13 years old. I traded traded that one pony for a horse, and been trading horses ever since, so to speak. Um, I started showing open shows locally. I moved up to quarter horse shows uh, when I became a, a later teenager. Um, met my wife showing horses. As a matter of fact, we were showed in youth together and we got married when we were 19. And so horses have been a part of our life forever. Uh, and so then I was all through college, I was riding horses. And then when I got out of school, I decided that I didn't have time to stay in the quarter horse world because that took a lot more time commitment to go to a lot of horse shows. And so I had always been drawn towards reining because I thought that was the coolest event of all. And I realized that you could, A, not go to 50 shows a year and be successful because it would depend on how you did that day. It was not your biggest ad in the magazines or the biggest rig. It was how you did that day, you and your horse with the judge's opinion. And that, to me, was most appealing. So um, you being a member as long as you have and now being involved in the governance of the association, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the mm. sport and then also you know, how it just the management of the sport, how it's changed. Well, you know, I think maybe going back to the original days, um, the first futurity I saw was in 1970. And I'm fortunate enough to say that I've seen everyone since then, been at everyone since then, not just seen with, had been in a webcast, I've physically been at all of them, including the 72 futurity, which is in Sedalia, Missouri, that most folks don't know about. Uh, But either way, um, I think the the association was formed, first of all, because the bunch of roughneck cowboys thought that we needed really three things. And that was a better judging system, uh, which I'm very, very proud of having been a part of that development back in the 80s uh, to where we are now. It's, It's the envy of the world. It's maybe it's certainly not perfect, but it is so far as objective as you can make it. So I'm very proud of that. The second thing that they wanted was good ground, uh, the Cowboys back in the 60s. Um, and we have come so far from running on, you know, football fields to baseball diamonds to half grass, half dirt, whatever, to uh, whatever, to uh, sloped racetracks it, when it could have been somewhat uh, precarious to show <laughs> to where we are now. And I was actually in a conversation last night with somebody who's been in a sport about seven or eight years. And we would conversation was, have you ever shown men to a show with bad ground? And they said, no, what is that? Wow. And yeah. to be able to say that we don't have that now, I'm sure we do. And it's got some better than others. I got that, but it's never bad. Yeah. So that was one thing. The third thing was for shows to be able to be put on and exhibitors, breeders, owners, gentlemen, be able to run for some uh, decent amount of money. And certainly with what we see now, not just what the NRHA puts forth in, in terms of this futurity and the derby and the Euro futurity and Euro uh, derby nominations plan and all that. If you add up the uh, worldwide, all the money that's, that is available to horses, you don't have to come local on the city to win a lot of money. You can win a lot of money regionally. And so to those founding fathers to see how far we have come on all those three things, it's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. And how do you see the, the purses changing going forward? I mean, there's a lot of talk about that. And 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the run for the meeting was a, was a great, you know, uh, shot in the arm for our sport. The Elementa uh, influence in Europe is also a great influence. What we're seeing, I think, right now is people that have been outside our industry for a long time are now recognizing what we have to offer. They're seeing a lot of uh, excitement and a lot of opportunities. And they're bringing, you know, singularly bringing in a lot of money. And that's a, an excellent thing. The, the NRHA has, with its affiliates, et cetera, over the years have brought forth a lot of money. But right now we're at a precipice of a lot of money being able available to our sport. Absolutely. It's exciting. It's very exciting. So let's talk about what horsemen and horsewomen do you admire most? Maybe mm. um, is if there's an up-and-comer that you see making ground or just a, a trend in the professionals that you see. Yeah. Um, what, what do you like that you're seeing and what have you seen through the years? You know, that, that's certainly a great question. Uh, and I kind of look at it in, in two different generations. I was fortunate enough to see all the original guys and a few girls, <clears throat> but the original guys, whether it be Dale Wilson, Bill Horn, Bob Loomis, Paul Horn, you know, all the, the greats from that era. I was able to, to be in the makeup pen with them at night, did a, I'll say at the bars with them. Uh, it was just to be able to see that the, their own natural ability to make horses better. So that generation, then we've, we got stuff in the middle and then the, the newer generation of trainers. And I, I won't be, again, uh, won't pick any names because that might be suicidal for me, <laughs> but the, the, to see the people that are today that have embraced more advanced uh, horsemanship and horse training skills, coupled with their own ability to to, to show and ride and, and train, but to see the advancement in the, the actual training mechanism, methods, and philosophy is is phenomenal. Tell us um, something that you are not very good at with your horses and um, <laughs> what you're working on to, to get better at it. Well, the biggest thing is I don't ride. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, the last few years, I've, uh, I've had my horses out in Oklahoma with Barbara Williams, who I have ridden with, again, since 1981, mm -hmm. um, off and on other trainers, but, but primarily with Barbara since then. And so I don't get a chance to ride. And for me, it is, I'm fortunate to have trust in that program within her that I don't worry about can my horses uh, perform a particular maneuver. Some are better than others. I got that. Um, and it's really just kind of me understanding where the buttons are on the horses, how to do it. And fortunately, they're very, they're trained in, in school very similarly. So it's not a big deal. If I had to pick one that I'm the, the not the most confident, it would be lead changes. But, um, I think that's probably, uh, one of the, for, for most folks, but I've Absolutely. had two good coaches on that particular skill. Don Boyd, who I rode with back in the late eighties was really good on, on teaching people how to change leads, uh, but how to, how to time your lead changes. And Barbara is so good at mechanically teaching the horses to change. I, really, it's not a problem, but I do worry about that one. I think you are not alone. <laughs> <laughs> we hear lots of non-pros talk about yeah, lead changes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> 
Um, if horses weren't your hobby, what, what do you think you'd be doing right now? We're at the fraternity yeah. right now, so yeah. it's you know it's December and cold. Would you be in Hawaii or? <laughs> well, yes, that's, that's, that's a great question. Uh, Oklahoma City has the variety of all different kinds of weather, and the fraternity in particular, we get warm days over the years, and we've had ice storms and snow storms, and it's certainly a, a breezy out here all the time. So I'll go with that. Um, one of the things, that, and actually maybe another question or another aspect, I've been somewhat earlier on pretty involved in snow skiing. I've got a daughter that was a ski instructor that was phenomenal, and I really enjoyed skiing with her. And I'm fortunate that one daughter shows horses with me, and that's that's great and have that, that comradeship with her and that closeness. But the, the three of us, two daughters myself, uh, my wife doesn't, we all scuba dive. And to be able to go do that, it's a warm place to start off. I don't care anything about the cold weather uh, <laughs> scuba diving. But we've all shared that same passion and love for just being together and doing those things. So I probably would do, if I weren't here, would be someplace a little warmer doing that sort of thing. So tell us, um, when you're at the barn, when you do get to be at the barn, I know you're very busy mm -hmm. and, and it's hard to find time, but what are your pet peeves? Leaving halters around? Bridles hung incorrectly. <laughs> I have been schooled very well on how to hang bridles up over the years, uh, how to hang up halters, et cetera. I think just in general, it would be just someone maybe maybe being as not as considerate as they could be on the overall cleanliness. And, and um, we used to have a saying, Don Boyd was our place back in the 80s. We had a, we had a training facility there on the farm. And we had a little say, and it was the first day that somebody came to see us, they were a guest. The second time they came to see us, they were a nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> and the third time they came, they were barn help. <laughs> so they all got trained. So I think what you have to realize in, in, a, in a public facility or anybody else's, it's not your house. You cannot you know, do as you please. You have to follow some basic rules of courtesy and, and whatnot. So that, that would be more than anything else would be being courteous to somebody else's, you know, stuff and or their space. So what advice do you wish you could give yourself 10 years ago or even 20 years ago about your trajectory with horses and, and within the, the association? Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell yourself? Well, I think that what I, what I have always tried to tell myself was that and I'm fortunate in that it's not my way of making a living these days and whatnot. And so how well I do showing does not affect my health, wealth, or the safety of my family. So I try to keep that in mind. So that if I do good, that is great. That's super. But if I don't do well, there's always tomorrow. And I think that's what everybody needs to keep in mind. One run, one show does not, uh, you know, set your legacy in stone that you can never recover. You're always going to be, you know, last place. That's not the case. It's the next time you will do better. How did you get on this path to be involved in the governance of the association? Is it hmm. something that you expected or that you, you had thought about doing for a long time? Or no, Well, I, I won't say thought about. No, I think um, I'm fortunate to have both my parents that passed away now, but both of them were um, very involved in either community or particularly in the horse business, horse uh, stuff. Uh, we're very involved and kind of set a good example for people, me included, to be to to give back, to do things. Uh, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, father-in-law's passed away. Uh, so the same thing. So there was just a, not a, a environmentally and hereditarily, I was supposed to do stuff that was what was expected, and that's not a burden. That's a gift if, if you if you have. 
Um, and I was fortunate enough to be involved with the, got on the board in 81 the first time. My friend Bob Loomis was president and he pointed me to the board. Um, and then I had a chance, actually at a very early age, in the early 80s, to run for president at that time. And I said, no, my family's too young, my children too young, and I don't have the time to commit to it. Uh, there was a chance in the early 2000s or mid-2000s uh, for me to do the same thing. And at that time, ironically, my father and my father-in-law were both elderly, and it looked like there were going to be things that had to be done with them. And um, I made the same choice for not for a young family, but for an older family. And so I chose not to uh, be involved. I've been on the executive committee several times in various committees, really for since 81, I think. Uh, but again, when it came back around this time for the, to be uh, involved and to help out, uh, that's why it, it was it was the right time. What advice can you give members um, about getting involved on any level, whether it's with their affiliate or with the greater, you know, mm. larger organization? Mm. What what do you think? What advice and, and mm. what kind of encouragement can you give them? Well, I think it's two things. I think if you're if you're local. Uh, if you will, and just getting started, being involved with your affiliate and the local association is, is is so important because you learn a little bit more about a sport. You learn how, and you obviously most folks in this sport are already involved in a lot of things already, so that so you don't have to learn how to, to be a committee member. But join your your uh, local affiliate and be on a committee, be a director, officer there. At the NRHA, in particular, we have committees uh, that we fill those with uh, a broad uh, spectrum of people, both geographically or age and or experience. We, we want input from everybody. Um, but I think John Foy, our chief financial officer, told me something years ago that I thought was, was, was very, very uh, intuitive. And his mother told him, and that was, readers are leaders. So I encourage everybody to first read the rule book about judging how do you show a horse. And then if you then take another step further and read our bylaws and everything else that you can so that you understand as much about our organization as possible. Otherwise, you don't have false impressions or, or think one thing and then what we've already been decided for 30 years is another way. So. So again, just be involved and learn how to, to um, you know, to, to grow and help the sport. What would you say um, is the best way to go about having a discussion about ideas or concerns that members have? Um, what's what's the most effective way to approach mm -hmm. someone about that? Sure. Well, you know, I think today with social media, it is a great tool and it's also a, a potentially a not as positive form for communication. If uh, any member uh, has an interest or question or an idea, you know, I don't think there's anybody on the NRHA board and probably not at the affiliate level either that's not interested in, in your opinion. Uh, you can ask me any question anytime for that matter. I really choose to stay off of quote unquote social media because it's not exactly the best forum for, for discussion. Uh, but I encourage anybody to contact anybody on the board at any time just to ask questions. So it's pretty much an open door. Perfect. And they can find that contact information, I know, in the front of the Rainer. Rainer um, it's on, on the website. website. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can text me. You can call, uh, call me. You can email me. I'm, I'm good on any of that. We're at the fraternity right yeah. now. What is your favorite fraternity memory in the, the many that you've been atten in attendance at? Wow. 
Well, the, the very first one, again, was in 1970. And uh, Tim McQuay, ironically, has a very similar story. But in 1970, I walked into Coliseum and I saw uh, Sid Griffith went on his winning run on Red Ant Snort. And it was just kind of a surreal moment. And I said to myself, "Is that's what I want to do. So that was clearly made an impression on me, the very first one. I've heard other folks, particularly, I can think of Dave McGee from Rocket, from North Carolina as well. Same story, came to Oklahoma City on another, another business trip, came by to Futurity on a, somewhat of on a whim, saw the Futurity and said, that's what I want to do. He's now, he's a level four competitor right around non-pro. You know, I think that's it's, it's a great question. There's almost 40 fatiries I've seen, so it's, it's hard for me to, to separate two or any one of them. But my memories of the fatiry really more about the the great horses and the, the great runs and all the conversation. is It's more about the friends that I have made along the way. I have friends from the early 90s that are still very, very, very close to me. And I think that probably more than anything else is what I remember about the fatiries, the times that we spent and – uh, some we can talk about, some we shouldn't really want to talk about right now, but we had a great time. And, and I think that's what it's about. It's, it's the camaraderie, it's the appreciation, passion for the horses, being and coming together for a common reason. And I think that's, that's to me, is the most important. And it's really evolved over the years, too. I mean, you are out on the concourse now on Saturday night yeah. during, you know, the second section of the Open Finals. And it's you hear Italian and Portuguese and you hear, I mean, the it's just this vibrant community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Again, the first fraternities, they were all in Columbus. And, um, you know, in those days, it was a compressed schedule of the Quarter Horse Congress when all the different disciplines, hawk horses, pleasure horses, the hunt seat horses, rainers, cutters, all were at the at the facility at the same time. So we all had our different times at the show and, and whatnot. But there was a lot of cross, I'll say cross-pollination of ideas, et cetera, and, and people, the appreciation of all horses came to watch the raining, et cetera. So that was very good. Now it is more specialized to only raining, but it is now, it's not just the folks in North Dakota that are seeing it. It's the folks in the, in the Netherlands. It's the, the people from South America that come here. Or even on the webcast, that not necessarily here, but the things that we can, the outreach of the fraternity that NRHA has through webcasts, et cetera, is just phenomenal. So yes, it's it's certainly it is not um, uh, a monochrome picture. It is very much a, a a very diverse picture. You've mentioned you know the the founders of the sport mm. and the big influencers on the beginnings mm. of the sport and what an impact their legacy had on you and your choices to be involved. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Mm. Because people clearly you're an influence on this sport in your position. Mm. And so what what kind of legacy do you want to leave? You know, I think the um, the legacy, if, if there is such a thing as, as that, is because it's really about the NRJ. It's not about me individually. Mm -hmm. But I think with the NRJ has has made great strides and will continue to make great strides to, to look at all different as, aspects of our industry. And, and in my mind, I've, I've talked about a, a stool and so many legs on the stool, et cetera, that, that one is just as important as, important as the other. The fraternity and the derbies, whether it be North America or, or Europe or wherever it may be, that's that in itself is one leg of the stool that is growing and has done great things and certainly brings about a lot of notoriety. Um, 
we certainly have the affiliate program, the grassroots, then they may be in North Carolina, they may be in California or somewhere in Denmark. And that, that, not that they're, they're the same, but they are the same because that are, those are people that have, that have committed their lives to our sport and trying to make it better for the people in their community, which is, which is very good. Um, and which is great. And then the third level would be the, the people in, see, Europe used to me, in my mind, used to be a developing uh, market. I, to, to, in my mind now, Europe is very much like the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's different, but it's very much, you have your people that focus on the fraternities and derbies, and you have people that focus on your affiliate championships, your, you know, those grassroots affiliate stuff. So I don't see Europe as being much different than the U.S. today. So I all, but so then I look to areas like the different parts of the world that are developing, and I think that's where NRHA has to put focus as well, not simply rely on what we have done for fifty years, but to develop, put our emphasis on these developing countries. Can you tell us a, a few of the de- the more <clears throat> developing, growing countries um, that you've had interactions with? You know, I have, uh, and I, and I, and proudly I can, I can do that. Um, you know, I think last summer at the Derby, uh, we had a, um, the group from Thailand was here and I was fortunate to meet all of them, got one of the NRHA Thailand hats and it's on my dresser at home right now. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, because we have, it, it's certainly a small, a small group of people are starting there. And with our help and with their enthusiasm, I think it will grow. Australia, not that Australia is new, but Australia has the ability to not only govern and do great things with their, with that area, but they can also reach out to New Zealand or Thailand, to Japan to make that a strong region of the NRHA. So that's, that's important. Uh, another thing which was very surprising, uh, 10 years ago, a group representing NRHA, if you will, went to Russia. Uh, uh, Tamara Wagman was one of the ones that went and they uh, helped uh, influence a group to form over there and it was not specifically raining it was the Western Riding Club in Russia and didn't really think much about it 10 years ago but at the, at the Derby this year we uh, they came up to me and said well, would you help put together a video of, on you know media so easy to, to handle now of uh, uh, do a, a, a chat with the, the congratulate them on ten years of activity and growth, et cetera. And I said, be glad to, you know. We, so we did, and we talked to them a little bit. Don't know any, didn't know anybody on the other end of the the telephone, so to speak. But when I was at Run for a Million this year, I had a Olga came up to me. She's a lady from Russia, and she recognized me from the the video and introduced herself. She had come from Russia to Vegas to Run for the Million to see that event, and was so. So happy to, I was very happy that she introduced herself to me that I got to make a connection that I wouldn't have made otherwise. So yes, I think we've got, we all have to be, should be ambassadors for our sport. And it doesn't mean we have to be the greatest trainer or the greatest non-pro in, in history. We just have to have a passion and be willing to share that passion. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? <laughs> Any closing remarks or thoughts? <laughs> you know, the NRJ is scattered as we are. It, there's not many opportunities to, for all members to get together and have one meeting, et cetera. But I would encourage there many people that could come to our winter meeting in February, uh, actually be in Denton, Texas this year, to come to our meeting and just be a part of the process. You know, see the committee's work, see the, the board work, um, 
and be a part of the excitement and the enthusiasm of the people that have the quote unquote passion for this sport. Thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit NRHA.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining.